0: Welcome back to the flip side, folks. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. Uh, Brian... Hello, and uh, I, I was curious: Is Tim Tebow speaking on our podcast, or did he finally dump us for the Republican National Convention?
1: He, he you know, his people stopped calling us back, so you know, unfortunately, I think you know Tebow is going to be—I don't know what he's doing—working out these days. You know, <laughs> just in a gym somewhere. Um, yeah, and and then you know we thought we were going to surprise everyone. You know, we didn't want to say anything because it was going to be a surprise, but we had Scott Baio lined up for our big for our big. Episode uh, season two, episode nine, because uh, it's a big episode. Obviously, we had them all lined up, and then he went and, and is trying to make America America again. Yeah. what does it even mean, make America America? Again? I always, I always thought Scott Baio was
0: Canadian. I don't know why. I mean, maybe, <laughs> was that or was that Howie Mandel that was that's Canadian? How, I think that's Howie Mandel. Okay, I mean, easy mistake to make, but it's, uh,
1: the, they're 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 very much alike. They they do remind your, each other yeah. uh, yourself um, of each other.
0: I do have this question I and mean, I've got the the RNC coverage from CNN on in the background here. Um you know, you've watched a lot of sports, uh you've watched a lot of politics. Is mm-hmm. there ever a good excuse for having nine people on one studio set that are
1: supposed no. to talk? I mean, No, that's I, I saw <laughs> I I wasn't watching it, but I saw somebody tweet out a screenshot of the CNN desk with all those people and it just you know it, it, it you you have you know you have multiple i don't know i don't know what that's that really does make the uh nfl pregame shows look like a really tight ship comparatively comparatively speaking
0: it just seems it seems so silly i don't i mean i i i get the thinking it's like well we need to have all these people on to represent what i guess different viewpoints but it's like i mean how many viewpoints can the average Viewer sustain over the course of even a, a three hour period. And I mean, if it's that difficult,
1: just rotate people in or do what well, NBC used to do and have like separate sets. Yeah, and especially since you're at, at the convention, you have theoretically, you're doing most of the coverage is live speech coverage. So it's right. not like you have a ton of time to, you know, have nine viewpoints. I mean, I don't know. I'm not course, watching it. Yeah. Well, though. then again,
0: of course, I mean, with this Republican National Convention, there, there's not a whole lot of speeches worth tuning into, it seems well, like. I <laughs> mean, you know, you got, you got Scott Bayo,
1: You got this soap opera star that just spoke. Duck, you got the uh, Th- was that, we got Duck Dynasty dude who was on earlier. Right.
0: You got, I mean, you, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's... I get that you need people to comment, but it's just like don't stick them all behind a desk. Like yeah. you know, put, put them out on the floor, like put them out on the street, right. do something.
1: Right. Uh, there's got there's got to be a press box at Quicken Loans Arena, like some auxiliary press box that you can go you can have as like your your your, your second set or something like that. Right. I don't know. It, I don't know. It's um it 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 feels like it's just kind of like the more is better school of media coverage and you know, we've seen that that's not always the best that that's not always true. And I right. think that that's definitely obvious here. Um, but we, you know, it, it was funny. I was just thinking about this just before we started tonight. Our first episode, episode S1E1, the, the pilot episode of The Flip Side, was the night of the Iowa caucus. Wow. And I remember that because I was I was down here in the laundry room to the stars. And my wife came down with a, with a little dry erase board with a note that she had written, Trump's going to lose Iowa and we were all excited that night because we thought all right maybe this ends it and we can get back to normalcy and here we are doing S2E S2E9 the Scapeo episode um on the night uh, 3 days before they presumably do nominate this guy to be uh one of the two major candidates to be president
0: i think we're past presumably i think it's yeah, it's it's a sure. it's a given that it's going to happen but uh yeah i know it's what a long strange trip it's been i mean yes. it's uh it's it's definitely not what we expected when we were sitting there in, in uh, you know, in the, in the cold winter months thinking, oh, you know, this is one of those weird bubble ups we get occasionally in American right. politics that will go away. Now, this has been – this is one that they'll look back in the history books for a while and, and, and be like, what, what exactly did we see here? Like what was well, going on yeah. with all of this?
1: Well, there are two really interesting articles about Trump and, and, and kind of like the making of, I guess, Donald Trump. Uh, as candidate that we're making the rounds on social media today. One of them, I'm gonna put them in show notes, which is always can be at sports found at sportsmediaguy.com on the flip side tab. Um the first one was from BuzzFeed and it's taking forever. It's McKay Coppins is a writer and he was one he was a he's a BuzzFeed political reporter and he wrote about a lot of backstory on how Trump has always kind of you know viewed himself as the you know always kind of that proverbial outsider wanting to be on the inside you know back from his to his school days to his the days as a developer in new york and and on through here and it's a really fascinating look at kind of that that you know how you know Trump I want to run no really no really I'm going to run and kind of how that developed and the other one was in the New Yorker and I don't know when this came out I just saw it today it was the ghost author of uh uh the headline is Trump's Boswell speaks it was the ghost author of the art of the deal Trump's book from the 80s right and um and talking about how he even back at the, back then kind of regretted the decision because of the Trump's character and and how, the kind of person he was, and 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 I find these stories really really fascinating. You know, obviously you know let's we'll we'll set aside any of the all the dangerous rhetoric that Trump and his supporters are bringing about and the the potential of real threats and real problems that they can ring they can bring about but it is kind of fascinating to watch this that part of fascinating to watch this story, and I've always been kind of taken aback um with this idea and, and, and you know this New Yorker piece and the BuzzFeed piece, there there's this always kind of inherent blaming of people for m- making Trump happen or letting Trump happen. You know, we saw this this debate has popped up a lot throughout the uh, the primary season. You know, is the media to blame for Donald Trump? You know, it, you know, did we not take him seriously enough? Did we take him too seriously? Did we let him see that up? Wh- wh- Whichever side you want to take on, and I always found it found it fascinating because. Look, anybody who listens to this podcast or can knows me or has listened for five minutes can probably guess that I am not a Donald Trump supporter by any stretch of the imagination. No. This is not this is not breaking news, but but I, I I always find that you know blaming for Trump you know who's to blame for Trump? He got the votes. Like he, he I don't believe people no. just voted for him because he's on TV and because he's he's a celebrity. I don't agree with it, but you know he he. Did something to get people to cast a vote for him, and I, I always feel like the well, who's to blame? Blame for letting this happen? Like I don't, I the the blaming aspect of it always sets uneasy with me for that reason.
0: Well, look, I would, I, I think there's a parallel here to Bush too, in okay. as much as the the leading voices of the media and the leading voices of of um, certain highly educated white segments of the population who tend to lean heavily Democratic. Um, mm-hmm. They had parallel narratives about Bush. One was he was a stuttering buffoon who couldn't get out of his own way and, and was unfit to run an ice cream shop, let alone the presidency. Sure. On the other hand, he was this diabolical evil man who was doing all these things to make the world terrible. and right. And yet... And even though you know you had these two very diametrically opposed narratives that existed, no one seemed to grasp the foolishness when you look at looked at those narratives in parallel that 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 they were being constructed with. Because it's like the guy's either an evil genius or he's a buffoon. Like he's not both. And. Mm-hmm and i think that that led to a lot of underestimation of bush's appeal to certain people guy got elected twice um uh, his the the way that he went about doing certain things not saying he was a good good president by any means but but it led to a lot of underestimation in terms of why people found him appealing and why people right. voted for him and why people supported what he did and i think you've got a similar thing with trump and i and i think you know to some degree media even supposedly unbiased media when they cover politics that if you're if you're familiar with the cadence of the business you understand by when you read or you or you hear things on television you understand the subtext of how things are being presented and Mm -hmm. i think the same thing happens in sports uh but but i think it's very very obvious in politics if you study it enough and on the one hand people wanted to present trump as again a clown like a a guy who wasn't serious about anything who didn't have a clear policy position um and then on the flip side they want to present him as like a a hitler-like figure basically like Mm -hmm. a guy that's that's leading you know the you know the the dawn of a new it's era a neo-fascism, neo fascism yeah. neo fascism in the U.S. and it's like you can't have it both ways like you, you can't you can't substantiate the guy every every news cycle by saying this man's dangerous and then on the flip side be like how can people be voting for this man he doesn't have anything he doesn't have any of his ideas straight he doesn't know what he's doing he's he's not really that smart you know and and so I think some of this blame thing that you're talking about comes out of the the lack of comprehension. Or the lack of connection of the two narratives that are being consistently spun, and this idea right. that well um we've we 've explained to everybody that this man doesn 't have the the you know the, the the capability of 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 leading a country or of of being an effective president, so, so you know we should have done something else earlier on. well, what you should have done was been very clear about the guy's lack of credentials not Mm -hmm. focus on the buffoonery not you know you should have been very clear about the you know what it is about trump that is appealing to people and why instead of doing what frankly was done through most of the first two-thirds of the election cycle this year which was point and laugh at the people who were voting for trump and saying these people are idiots they don't know what they're voting for well you know what it doesn't matter if they know what they're voting for or not, because they are voting for it and right. they're doing so in larger numbers than anybody else in the Republican field. Um, right. So if there's, if there's blame to go around, it's not that, you know, the ghostwriter for Trump's book in the eighties didn't come out and say, this guy is a, this guy's, you know, unfit to, to, uh, to lead people. It's that, I think the political punditry class just consistently underestimated the guy the whole way. And now that we're here, we are on the press. I tell you where I think it really is. It's not that Trump's about to get the nomination it's that people are really starting to realize this guy could win the election. Like this idea, right. th- this idea, this mantra that was going for the last three weeks that, you know, you know, this isn't going to be a race. Hillary Clinton's going to just walk all over him. I mean, the polls aren't bearing that out. The polls are bearing no. the exact opposite.
1: It's getting and, much and, closer.
0: And now you're getting all this hand-wringing on the part of a lot of the political media and bloggers and and, and people who are very active and vocal politically where they're saying, my God, what, what, what have we done? Like, how, how can we reverse this? Like, what could we have done differently? And it's... It's like, well, you, you could have not acted like the smartest people in the room from the word go.
1: Right, right. You know, I just – I just come back to to. – we'll wrap up political discussion here because nobody listens to, our, to us for politics. Um, I actually have heard several people listen to us for politics. Seriously? Okay. Yeah, well, at least, uh-huh.
0: at least a couple people have said they've enjoyed the political conversation. Nice. So
1: Nice. Let's keep it going. All right. Um, yeah, but the- I, I – I- <laughs> Go ahead. (laughs) But I just always come back to a a podcaster I really like, and he's written a lot of stuff too. His name's Merlin Mann. He always says something like, people don't do things because they're stupid or because they think they're stupid. Like nobody, you know, whatever your opinion of Trump supporters might be, nobody's going there thinking, I'm an idiot, I'm going to vote for this guy because I'm stupid and I'm just going to vote for him. Like they have a reason for it. Whether you think the reason is valid or not, you know, Tens of millions of people have voted for him. Tens of million millions of people are going to vote for him, and I think that kind of that that kind of ignoring that or just kind of, um, you know, acting like that's not a thing or trying to explain it away in another way is just it doesn't do anybody doesn't do anybody really a lot of good. Um, more importantly, we've gone like ten minutes here and we haven't talked beer yet. We've talked more something <laughs> than beer, and this needs to change. So, because I have, I, I have, I have road beer, beer from another state. because um, we were we had a, a group vacation, a, a vacation with friends and and uh, friends and their kids down in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, this past uh, this past weekend. And so, I have a beautiful little beer from Mipsillion River Brewery. <laughs> it's their Space Otter American Pale Ale. Oh. Uh, wow. That's my nice. friend my friend and uh and non listener of this show, Jared Paveni, visited them and interviewed their beer master last year. It's a very small uh craft brewery uh on the delaware shore in the in the general vicinity of Dogfish Head and several of the other more popular craft beers um space otter it's a very nice citrusy pale ale about five percent a little more than five percent. Um, really nice, clean summer beer. Um, so, uh, and, and in further reports, we didn't Facebook live from dogfish head, but we did have, I did have their flesh and blood, their blood orange IPA, which was excellent. And my wife actually had a chocolate lobster stout.
0: Oh, uh, say that again.
1: It was a, a chocolate lobster stout. It was a chocolate stout with lobster, lobster flavoring. How was that? she she liked it she's not a style person and she liked it yeah i didn't particularly enjoy it i it's like like a lot of beers from dogfish Head that i don't particularly like i can tell they're very well made and they're very well crafted it just right. wasn't for me flavor wise but it wasn't like a very strong fish flavor a very strong lobster flavor um yeah, yeah it was, you know it was, it was interesting so hmm. um uh, very it strong sounds, for beer Delaware Shore I will say
0: I've, I, like I've seen oyster stouts and I've never had one because the idea just I find kind of revolting but um, but but a lobster stout I might be willing to give a shot
1: yeah um, so what do you have
0: so I have um, so we bought a, a, a mixed 12 pack this was my wife's purchase last week uh and, and it was it's fat tire collaborations yep. with other brewers in, in Colorado. And so I'm having the Fat Wild Ale, which is a collaboration between Fat Tire and Avery Brewing Company. Um, okay. So what this is is it's like a it's 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 a Belgian wild yeast combined with like got almost like a like a tart f- fruit flavor going on okay. top of it. Um, and when I first had it, I didn't like it, and I've had about half of it now, and it's okay. actually grown on me a bit. It's it's certainly, it describes itself as um, a healthy dose of Brettanomyces bruxellensis dree, a what? Uh, with, a, with a sturdy malt backbone, fruity hop aroma, and a tropical pineapple layer. Um it's okay. I don't know that I would voluntarily <laughs> drink it again, but it, I, I, okay. I'm, I I feel none the worse for wear having drank it. So, good job. Gotcha. So,
1: so. I, I stand corrected. I just looked up the uh, chocolate lobster from Dogfish. is actually a porter and not a stout. It's a porter. Okay. I yes. got so, you. Yeah. So, this um, sounds interesting. It, it was. You know, one of the nice things about when you go to it, we went to their brew pub, which is not their brewery, but they're like... Uh, brewery owned restaurant brew pub and you know it's always nice to see they always have stuff on tap that's not widely available not um not ev- available anywhere else like the chocolate lobster is a brew pub exclusive um i also had the experience this past week moving away from beer and uh seeing bob dylan in concert for the very first time in my life how was that i'm glad i didn't pay for tickets <laughs> i thought uh, you were going to say something like that <laughs> um I, I must say, so I went, my wife won tickets through work, and she didn't want to go, but so friends, of, I went with friends of hers from her office that I'm also friends with, mainly because I wanted to cross Dylan off the list. Like, free ticket to see Bob Dylan? Absolutely. I can say sure. I've seen Bob Dylan. Um, he was, he sang mostly, I don't know if it was new stuff, he sang a lot of Frank Sinatra, like a hmm. lot of standards. The two songs that he sang, uh... He does two sets, which is weird because the sets are like nine songs. Um, so he closed the first set with "Tangled Up in Blue," which was an okay rendition of it. Nice. And then the encore, he opened with "Blown in the Wind," which was almost unrecognizable. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, the best part of the of the night was Mavis Staples is opening for him on this tour, and nice. she is she takes you to church. I mean, she is just phenomenal but right. um but yeah so dylan was you know he was a he's a bucket list you know he's on my list now you know i figure if i see the stones at some point then i'll have a really good yeah kind of like that 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 triple that 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 mark the the, the like the big three because i've seen both surviving beetles i've seen dylan and if i see the stones i figure that's it now you've seen the stones before i have seen the stones twice actually okay are they how or how have they been when you've seen them
0: they were good both times, and I saw them eighteen years apart. I saw them okay. in uh, I saw them in '97, uh, and uh, you know that was the Voodoo Lounge. No, no, that was the Bridges to Babylon tour, and okay. and it was a really good show. Um, and then I saw them last year uh, on the Fourth of July at in at the the uh, Speedway up in Indianapolis, and you know I mean. Uh, Mick Jagger is still very energetic. Uh, Keith Richards had definitely gone downhill in terms of his energy level. Um, mm. But, um, you know, I I thought it was a great show both times. I mean, I have a, a sentimental attachment to that first show because it was, you know, it was like the third or fourth show I'd ever seen. And, you know, it was me and my buddy uh, Kyle Spory who, you know, we we drove from – Indiana out to Columbus, Ohio. And we saw the show at the, at Ohio stadium. So like, you know, it was like 90,000 people there, uh, for the show. It was just a really, really fun experience. I was like 18 years old at the time, you know? Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, both shows are really good. I, I I have not seen Dylan, and the reason I haven't seen Dylan is because every review of every Dylan show that I've heard from people has been exactly what you just described. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, you know, I haven't. Uh, I've seen Neil Young a couple of times. Uh, I don't know what that's like now, but I know in the in the '90s and even into the early 2000s, it was a it was a really good show.
1: Okay. Yeah, it was. Um... I said, it's, you know, you go see Dylan live because he's Dylan, but it's, you know, I don't think he's ever been a particular showman, um, obviously songwriter versus showman. And, um, you know, he's at the point where people like me will go see him and it doesn't matter what he plays. So he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to come out there and play, um, don't think twice, um, and right. he's not going to because he doesn't care. Um, so we actually have we have a few leftover, to- a couple short leftover topics from last week, and a couple of pretty good, some good suggestions on Facebook. Um, as always, if you hit up me or Galen on any social media um, or anyway really, and give us a uh, give us a topic, we will spend at least one minute talking about it. Um, and so from last week, um, so Matt Zimmerman actually gave us a topic last week and then he had posted something on Facebook and it disappeared. I don't know if he deleted it, but we'll go back to that eventually. So he can't get away from that one. <laughs> um, but there was a, uh, there was a post on Deadspin a few weeks ago and it was just a good, uh, kind of funny hypothetical in drew Makery's fun bag, his weekly kind of mailbag column. And, uh, you have some experience with it. So I wanted to bring it up. Um, so the, 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 the hypothetical is. All 50 United States declare independence from each other and go to war with each other. So we're, we're 50 on 50 on 50. Which state wins? Okay. And you have experience with this. So I want to I want I want to hear I want to hear this.
0: I have kind of fake experience. Like I there's this there, whole podcast
1: is fake experience. It's so. a fair
0: point. There's there's a there's a mod to a game called Europa Universalis 4, which is a great game. I mean, I anybody who likes grand strategy should play this game, but Okay. um but there's a mod for the game called the Super States mod. And what it is is it's basically all 50 states independent and um they there's like there's there's war between them and the idea basically you know I, the idea that all 50 states would go to war and stay at war I think is a little bit of a misnomer because frankly if that was the case uh it would simply come down to a battle between California Texas and New York but that's boring right. so we're not going to talk about it that way um right the, the I think what we would see you would see a lot of coalition building early on mm mm-hmm like you'd see Cascadia band together and and probably just smoke dope and, and get conquered by somebody else. You'd, you'd have the Midwestern States, um, probably more or less banding together. Uh, if you know, so you'd have all of those sorts of things. I do think that the coalition leader that is most likely to come out ahead in a war involving all of the States at this point is probably going to be, um, the, uh, it's probably going to be the the either the state of Missouri or the state of Georgia. So here's my okay. here's my here's my philosophy on why. Um okay. Missouri's in a great spot because it it's actually got cultural ties to both the Midwest and the South and actually I said both, but it's also got cultural ties to the Great Plains. So it's got plenty right. of alliance possibilities. It's sure. got two major cities within its borders. Um, and and they 're equidistant you know from the center of the state, so you don 't have mm-hmm. tremendous balance issues there uh, it 's a state that still takes its kind of civil war history seriously um, and it 's put itself in a position I think that um, it can flip to whichever side looks like it 's going to be winning and end up being the decisive. Uh, state, the one that kind of makes the uh, makes the trend happen uh, right. i think i think you know uh, now i think i think Georgia has some similar advantages because Georgia is so big and has so many innate advantages in terms of uh, you know it 's got it 's got a coastal port it 's got a huge financial area it 's got great manufacturing it 's got a big population and it 's culturally relatively united uh you know unlike say florida which is a big state but it's basically like three or four states within one state right um and and i think that a lot of those southern states would be willing to rally behind a state like georgia rather than trying to go on their own because most of them i think lack the infrastructure in one or another area uh, to be able to do it. I think I think some states that people would look at and be like, oh, you know, like Texas, for instance, would automatically win you underestimate the resentment that a lot of the states surrounding Texas have towards Texas. Plus okay. you underestimate the idea that if Texas if, if all fifty states decide to go that way mm-hmm. and Texas decides that they're going to like try to conquer the US, they've got Mexico uh, right across the river and Mexico's gonna want a lot of that territory back. Our- <laughs> uh, you know I mean that, like that like the idea the idea that Texas isn't going to suddenly be fighting a two-front war, if not a three-front war, is kind of silly. Um... You know, I, like, the, I,
1: I like how you subtly position Texas as Nazi Germany in uh, World War II. with <laughs> the fun here.
0: <laughs> well, except I don't think Texas – well, that's the thing. Actually, Texas might be fool enough to be attacking the U.S. and then just and randomly decide to attack and, and, and go yes. after Mexico City. See,
1: that's a really good point. I when, when My wife and I, when we were on the road one of the numerous times this weekend, this past couple of weeks, we played this game, and Texas was our, our obvious winner, and here's why. One – Yes, I think they're foolhardy to open to go to go double front to go to go two front. But you've got the huge size, so I think they would they would very quickly strike and and create an even more of an a lot. Uh, basically, they would. I I, I seem like they're going to conquer Oklahoma in like seven seconds. That's yeah, not going
0: But who cares?
1: But but no, you're you're adding population, you're adding landmass, you're adding territory, and I think <sighs> the, one, the one thing the one thing that that Texas has, I mean. Texas isn't going to surrender. Texas isn't going quietly. You know, they got the whole, they, they've got the Alamo mystique about the, the state.
0: Well, I you know, get that.
1: You're, you're literally going to have to, to obliterate Texas for them to give up. So I think between the size, the, the Texas foreverness, I think they're, they're the clear favorites. I did have two, I've had two thoughts on this for a while too. Cause I actually, when I was a kid, I used to have a puzzle map of the U S and, oh. and, I always wondered, you know, as uh, kids do, I'm sure. You look at the Michigan Panhandle and you're like, "Why the hell isn't that part of Wisconsin? That makes no sense." Right. So, I think I, w- I, I what I would think of is the first real skirmish of this fifty state Civil War is for the is for the the, the upper peninsula, the upper Michigan, upper Michigan and Wisconsin going at it on the border. I think Wisconsin takes that pretty easy. Here's okay. what here's here's y- 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 New York. I think would fall apart really quickly. Because here's why, upstate would not, and we're going to define upstate because it's always a thing as Poughkeepsie North, so right. Western Central. They are not going. We we I'll say I'll say it as the son of upstate. We would not um, support. It, it would be the thing like we are sending our people to die for New York City and the rich people down in New York. Nope. So I think there would be the first splinter group would be upstate New York breaking away. I think you would have the Adirondacks and like Albany North going up with Virgi- uh, Virginia, Vermont, New Hampshire, and and New England. And kind of like central western New York, like from, let's say, Utica or Syracuse over, we get into an alliance with Pennsylvania and Ohio and kind of create a right. Midwest state there. Um, and I think – so I think New York would actually be one of the first states to dissolve because I don't see that. that – Not to mention –
0: you you've got uh you know, large sections of Long Island ready right now to break away from Manhattan.
1: I mean, well like, you, al- well, you that- also have the Southerns here in Binghamton looking to secede and join Pennsylvania. That's right. true. Which right. is <laughs> no one would miss them. but um but no that's that that 's terrible to say but um but no, I think you know I remember Megri saying florida as a, as a sleeper because you have the trying to evade invade from the land you have the swamp of the everglades right. before you get down, but Florida's also super vulnerable as a peninsula
0: plus like the idea that <laughs> South Florida is going to try to conquer anything in the u s oh no than, rather than just like like, try to detonate land charges and, like, create an island that they can right. float closer to Latin America on. Is, or is, just lead to Puerto Rico. Or that. Yes. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I think a lot of the big states aren't held together particularly well. They're held together by the fact that you have the USA. They're right. not really held together by any great sense of 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 togetherness, per se. And, you right. know, I mean, you know, to some degree... Um, New York's probably the best example, but even Illinois is like that. Like, you know, the um the idea that, that the rest of the state of Illinois is going to fight on behalf of Chicago is, exactly. is laughable. Right. And so and so that's why I don't see like the big winner coming out of one of the big population states. I see it coming from that second tier, a more unified group of people uh, that's got a good transportation infrastructure and is strategically placed, you know, and so, you know, but
1: it's Missouri Missouri's a good pick, I think, if you're thinking of it that way. Yeah, because
0: I mean, because Missouri could easily could easily take the southern half of Illinois, uh, because, I mean, there's a lot they they have a lot more, you know, cultural ties plus they've got the st louis cardinals which for a lot of downstate illinois is you know that's the that's bigger than any political party sure uh you know and you've got iowa which is relative the the thing about texas you mentioned earlier the the thing about texas is they they could probably take over a lot of the neighboring states but they've got the rocky mountains to the west that's gonna halt a lot of their progress right north frankly there's no state of, of note uh you know, I, mean, I mean, Oklahoma, Kansas.
1: You could go straight up that line and you're basically getting, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you know, they're going to probably push north because they want to get to the oil fields. Right. Uh, but they've already got oil in Texas. So the idea that, like, they would desperately need that, um, you know, again, in kind of a quasi Nazi Germany move, like trying to, like, bum rush the Caucasus <laughs> to get to the Baku fields. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, they, they could do that, but then they're horribly overextended and, right. and they face potential. Uh, you know, counter movements or pincer movements from either Missouri on the west, on the eastern side or Colorado on the western side. Colorado is actually a sneaky good pick here because Although, because Colorado because of the fact that most of the population sits on the front range. All they right. have to do is 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 move their their capital and their fortifications back into the mountains, and all of a sudden, like you can see the enemy coming from like a hundred miles away at that but- point.
1: But Colorado's also, you know, for one thing, I, they they have a similar thing to Illinois, you know, a, a very city-country divide, you know, that, 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 that kind of state, that divide that you wouldn't necessarily think of being there. But also, you know, they have the mountains fortifying them, but then you have California sneaking up from the... Uh, from the uh, sneaking up behind them. So you'd have to a lot of
0: mountains that California has got to go through. Plus, plus California has got the whole NorCal. SoCal divide. that They're going to have to deal with like that. I could see. I mean, with all the budgetary issues in California right now, those people could just, they might just blow themselves up before they, before they get to a point where they can actually do war against others.
1: So so we have so we have us all being Missourians by the end of this war. I, I mean, think. I'm, not,
0: I'm not I'm not saying I'm happy with this <laughs> development. I'm just saying i I just I look at it. You know, I mean, another stealth pick might be Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because Virginia, you know, even in in Revolutionary times, was very strategically placed. It's got right. a you know, it's just Virginia is an odd state because it's not as it's not as manufacturing based as you would think. The population's kind of diffused. Uh, they've got right. a couple. Of, they've got a few big cities but um but there, it's very it's a very like territorial state um so i don't know i mean you know mm-hmm. uh, the, the, it's it is an interesting sort of environment that you're you're painting here this idea of a of a revolutionary america where everybody's at
1: war with everybody
0: right uh you know uh, I, I didn't even read the article what would, like
1: what, oh it was it was um i'll i'll put it in i'll put it in i'll, I'll send you the link and i'll put it in notes
0: who was the pick
1: uh, the pick was in a 50 state war is Florida. Yeah. Uh, try. I mean, here, here's his logic. Imagine trying to invade Florida. You'd have to attack from either the North or one of the coasts. Then you'd have to navigate miles of gator infested swampland and in extreme heat and elderly drivers just for the right to square off against a can, an army of cannibalistic lunatics all high on bath salts. No, thank you. <laughs> um, here's how, so, um, yeah. Uh, so that, that was the pick there. Um, so, well. Yeah. So all right we got some some uh some of the Facebook questions you want to kind of handle these kind of rapid fire as rapid yeah. fire as we're able to yeah all right we'll we'll start off here with uh we'll start off with my sister amy Moritz. why my why why does my apple password require more security than my bank password um, probably because your bank's not very good at security yep yeah, probably um and Apple is actually for all the all the complaining I will do and have done about apple they're they're actually doing a very nice job with a lot of this. A lot of security They're, you know they seem to be doing pretty well on this how much of a computer security guy are you do you use like a one password or a last pass are you worried about it do you just kind of be you know as laissez-faire as you can get i mean where's how how freaked out do you get about security in this kind of thing
0: i'm not sure that talking about my uh, attitudes towards security and passwords on a podcast is the wisest thing to do, but uh, but I will say that you do have them. Uh, I have I have passwords. I have multiple passwords. Um, you know, I I did when I got my iPhone because uh, I'd been on on the Android platform for quite a bit before. But when I got the uh, the iPhone, I. I used to not have a password on my phone at all. My my, mm-hmm. my rationale was, well, if I'm out running and I get hit by a car and they need to like like figure out who I am, I don't want them to not be able to get into my phone to like figure out who to call. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, that's kind of a, a fatalistic and negative way to go about life. So so I did end up putting a pass uh, like a actual like a number a numeric passcode on right there. The four code yeah um with six it's six numbers now okay um but you know look i, I think i will say this i think that the, the 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 uh like here at iu we have they don't let us have passwords we have to have passphrases phrases. And, okay. and and yes it's as dumb as it sounds like it, it's you, you don't just get like you know a 12 to 16 character word with you know certain number of capital letters certain number of special characters no you have to have a minimum four word phrase with uh with each word separated by a space and that gets really really annoying like it like tremendously annoying and it's like it's it's funny because I mean I keep mine relatively simple, and it's like I would probably have a harder password to crack if I had to put in a regular password rather than putting in a passphrase. Because with the right. passphrase, it's like it's a one letter off, and I got to retype the damn thing, and you know, and, and so you know, the security thing for me, I'm conscious of it. I you know, thankfully, I've never. I've never had a a password compromised, Mm -hmm. but I'm also realistic about it in as much as, you know, the, the people that are going to break into your stuff are probably using brute force password protectors. And I do know that, you know, my password is not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or ABCDEFG or something stupid like that. And I know there's enough, enough people out there in the world that do, use those sorts of passwords that they will have their stuff taken before
1: I will. Gotcha. Yeah, I, 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 I've always toyed with using a one a one password or a last pass or one of those kind of password managers. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it's one of those things where like you read the stories, like the big Wired story a few years ago about the guy who got his, uh, his iCloud and Amazon hacked and it basically like, you know, how it shredded your life. Um, but I also, you know, there's that, Weird can, you know, we need, you know, if you think about it too much, I think you can kind of think yourself into a corner of, uh, kind of a corner of paralysis. So, you know, due diligence, I think it, it is good. And probably, um, yes, I think my sister's bank probably could step up its security game a little bit. Um, I will say my credit union, the app, that their iPhone app now supports the Touch ID. So instead of entering the password, it, it reads your the thumbprint. I think that's pretty awesome. I think that's pretty cool development and yeah. um so all right so moving forward uh we have uh our good friend dr now dr shannon mccarthy yes um recently congratulations. passed congratulations um uh and this this is uh relative to your news of of getting a new puppy and adding nelson to your house um yes the five cutest types of puppies not necessarily the same as when they're full grown dogs okay
0: well yeah as, as i i uh, I'm always partial to the golden retriever puppy. And as I say this, my golden retriever puppy is in his crate screaming Uh his head off because he has to go to bed. Um, Hi, uh, Nelson. Yeah. Good night, Nelson. (laughs) I I would say the, um, the, the, the German shepherd puppy is a very cute puppy. Okay. I I would argue a cuter puppy than, than dog. I mean, they're, they're more regal looking as dogs, but they're pretty cute as puppies. um, i I think the Welsh Corgi uh, as a puppy is is a pretty cute puppy, and that ends up being a pretty cute dog right. Uh, um, I would say the Aussie Shepherd is actually a much cuter puppy than it is a dog, okay and um i I really didn't do much thinking about this ahead of time, but these are just rolling off of my head um, you know and, and for the fifth one, I'd say the uh the Great Pyrenees is is an excellent okay. excellent looking puppy and actually a pretty uh, an underrated dog from a looks perspective.
1: All right. Well, I've just gone down the rabbit hole of looking puppy looking up puppies and now this is just like the best moment of my life. now <laughs> I just I just have six tabs of puppy pictures up. These are great. The German I'd never really looked at German shepherd puppies and oh they're amazing. Um I'm going to pretty much agree with you. I like I like the uh you know the classic breeds I love a lab puppy, you know when they're tiny and they have the really floppy ears right um that's pretty much you can't go wrong with that um the retriever I like a you know the gold, the the golden doodle puppies you know I always tend to like golden doodles if they're more golden and less doodle, you know if they're less that 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 kind of really tight poodle hair but kind of yes. a little bit more retriever. They tend to be good, but the German Shepherd puppy. These are oh, this is a winner! <laughs> oh my goodness, these are great. Yeah. Um. And so, what is Nelson for? We were talking about him before we joined in. He's a golden.
0: Nelson's a purebred golden. He's uh he's he's, uh, he's, he's, all, he's a lighter colored golden. Um. But yeah,
1: he's he, uh, he's all golden all the time. That is awesome. All right. So, uh, long another long time non listener of the podcast, but good friend Steve gatine His his topic for one, at least one minute. Moral relativism. <laughs> I'm going to let you start off on this one. Oh, thanks. That's wonderful. Um, and Wikipedia, which is never wrong, defines moral relativism. It's the position that moral and ethical propositions do not reflect objective and or universal moral truths, but instead make claims relative to social, cultural, historical, or personal circumstances. So it's, it's basically... It's, it's postmodernism. It's, it's postmodernism. It's the idea there is no right, there is no wrong. It's only based on... It is all kind of situational-based and culturally-based. And so um, I – it feels like one of those things to me that round about your junior year of college is when you kind of – you you really – it, it seems like something that really takes hold at that point it's kind of one of those like upper level philosophy i'm saying it's an upper level philosophy thing but it feels like like that's the kind of t- where, where you'd be I, I feel like people people can really become kind of strident about it and kind of really feel like this is a big deal um and and, and, and yeah it just, it, it just feels like one of those philosophies that you get into when you're like taking a uh, your 300 level philosophy course to, to fulfill your gen ed requirements. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, 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 it's one. Of, and it just kind of feels like it falls down and not falls down after it. But um, I don't know. What what do you have? What, what, what would you um, throw on this for moral relativism? Are you a moral relativist?
0: Uh, no, I mean, but I'm also not a moralist. Okay, I'm in this kind of weird uh, in-between world, I guess. Maybe um, okay. I look at it like this. You know, I, I think I think to some degree, moral relativism is just people 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 who live in the everyday world. I think don't bother with moral relativism because it's it's one of it's like it's like a political science theory, like it's a dynamite theory to talk about. But it's yeah. it's it 's an elegant model that 's filled with crap, like, it's, like it, has, it has very little application to your day to day life because right. it, moral relativism is kind of like communism in that for it to work properly, everybody has to agree that nothing has meaning you know right. in communism, everybody has to agree that nobody has property right. uh, you know and, and, and that just in practice as a human as humans that doesn 't work and right. And so I think with moral relativism i I don't think that it's a bad thing to question the moral judgments and moral uh you know uh, im uh, what's the word i'm looking for the 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 moral imperatives of society uh you know right. you, so we can question you know i mean is homosexuality really a sin is is smoking weed really a bad thing is mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're homeless or or if you're like desperately poor is theft like a capital like crime but, you know stuff like right. that i think those things can be questioned that's fine but but the problem is that any society uh has to have a set of of core beliefs in order to 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 exist because if you don't have rules, you have anarchy. Uh, right. like, because I can simply say, your reality doesn't count because I don't believe in it. Well, that, I mean, if you don't have that, it's funny because a lot of the people that argue for moral relativism, I feel, are also like the biggest social justice warriors. And what is social sure. justice but a, a set group of beliefs that prejudges a lot of morality? Right, and, and so you know, it's like it's funny because a, a lot of times the same people that make those sorts of arguments are the ones that argue for more relativism. They're, they're the same people that, that you know enter in a lot of these postmodernist debates, and it's like it, it, you're having it both ways there. Right. So, now, yeah,
1: and I, 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 I and again, my my moral relativism is you know basically what I'm reading on Wikipedia right now, but it, but you know, there's a difference I think there w- between. And I'm basically scamming this right from Wikipedia. But there's a a difference, I think, between recognizing the difference in cultures and as, uh, you know, uh, differences between cultures and not kind of promoting an ethnocentric point of view where your our point of view is right and your cultural point of view is wrong versus the the, the kind of general statement that there is no set. There is no right and wrong. There are no prescribed ways to act, either within a society or, you know, cross, you know, cross societies. And, and and I think that, the, the, that, you know, moral relativism would seem to just kind of jump across that line completely, and, and, and in a way that's a little um, theoretical, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's a really good theory, but I don't necessarily see how it works, you know, real world-wise. I don't know. I got nothing else on this. I I, mean, nothing.
0: I, I will say this. I think, I think that it's good to go through, like, philosophical evaluations of what we consider to be societally acceptable things. I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. What I do have a problem with is people that act like... Um, people's viewpoints are invalid because they happen to be coming from a you know a, a something that's grounded in some form of morality. I think part of the problem is people we're we're in an interesting era where people of certain political stripes and certain cultural stripes have been trained to kind of reject anything based in religion out of hand and and, right. I, and I think that um that's I'm not advocating for like religious rule but I am saying that you know re- what is religion but basically a codified set of moral beliefs like you you don't necessarily have to believe in the religion to believe that the underlying moral beliefs are not bad. Like you can have a lot of issues with, you know, with Judeo Christian religions and you can still think, you know what? It's bad to kill people or it's yeah. bad to steal stuff from other people. Like, you know, right. and so, um, so I, I do think that sometimes this, this, this particular area gets tied up in that a little bit. And, and that leads to a lot of, uh, mental and emotional confusion about what is, and what is not acceptable.
1: It is funny to think that the, uh, When you think of moral relativism, it's like there's one absolute and there are no absolutes. Right. Um, So, okay, moving forward, we have uh, my student at SUNY Oswego, uh, Andrew Puglis. Sports meets crime. The former head of St. Louis Cardinals scouting going to uh, prison for nearly four years for that hacking scandal from a year or two ago. Story has fascinated me since last summer and he'd love to hear what you guys think of it. Um, And of course, this is also... Not related, but it's a crime—the uh, Russian doping scandal, uh, <laughs> Russian-wide doping scandal. The news that broke today on that, but we can kind of focus on this uh, on this card scandal. Um, your thoughts? And I gotta say, I'm a little—it's one of those things where I'm a little surprised this didn't become a bigger story than it did. Um, kind of shows the weight of football that if this were the New England Patriots, well, we know what would happen with the New England Patriots. But it, it just <laughs> is kind of one of those, oh yeah, this is a thing story rather than a big deal, so um, I assume, I mean, my guess would just be that's mainly because, you know, football greater than baseball in all things, Um, but your thoughts on this story, and, uh, I don't know, uh, the surrounding aspects of it. Well, let's see, here's
0: a guy whose former general manager uh, left the team and went to work for a rival, who... Uh, guessed at what the former GM's password was at the new, at the rival team he was now working for. Guessed correctly, and then used that password to gather a bunch of information about the team and who they were like planning on drafting and stuff like right. that. That's that's the core element of the case. For that, this man is going to serve four years in prison and going to have to pay personally pay. Uh, Over $200,000 fine. You know, we had a a financial crisis in the late 2000s that nearly took down most of the Western economies. And there were CEOs of banks that didn't do any jail time or pay any significant personal uh, penalty less than this man is going to do um this to me is a a gross miscarriage of justice i mean um on a bunch of different levels i mean it's cybercrime uh but it's cybercrime in as much as it's a closed shop uh, you know, it's two, two teams in a multi-billion dollar industry known as professional baseball that has an antitrust exemption. Right. Um, the guys, the limit of the guys, uh, you know, espionage was stealing scouting reports on players that weren't even in the league yet. Right. And and for that, he's going to do time in jail. I mean, I just, to me, like, this is like the, the acme of disproportional prosecution. Uh, it's a dumb story. It sends a bunch of wrong messages to a bunch of different people, not the least of which is the people who haven't been prosecuted in the financial sector for far more serious violations. And and to me, it's almost like, you know, the the idea that this guy is going to have to pay over two hundred thousand dollars in fines out of his own pocket when he didn 't pocket anything, there was no money that he put in his pocket out of any of this. The numbers that they came up as far as damages to the Houston astros weren't they weren 't even like real numbers. they were just like guesses that the court made from what I read about like how much they might have cost the Astros in terms of non realized value of drafted players mm-hmm. um, like to me i just I find the whole thing. Like I said, a miscarriage of justice, and you know, it's it's fascinating to me that that's that we we're going to send somebody to jail for that uh, right. as opposed to some of the other things that we could be sending people to jail for. if We really want to send people to jail.
1: I, I feel like part of it too is like because it was a hacking scandal and it hacking. Wasn't, well, no, 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 no. I know, it, it I, know, hacking, I know, I know, I know. It was hacking, but that's the way it was prosecuted. That's the way it was framed, and because of that, I feel like. There's always this, you know, it gets back to our discussion about computer security. There's always this, this hacking is this big boogeyman, fear, awful, worst thing that you can do. It just carries so much more negative connotations to it. Um, And I think you're right. You know, it's kind of one of those things that's less, you know, egregious than, when when you actually look at it, it's less egregious. But I am still surprised that it, it you know, even with this guy going to jail and paying the fine, that sports wise, you know, when we have this gate story, which is going on over, excuse me, potentially how much a football was inflated, on the surface of it. And yes, everything you say is true, but on the surface of it, this is so much more of a bigger cheating scandal than the, the gate. And what what is the bigger scandal story? The football one it's just it's one of those things where again probably because football is bigger probably because it's the patriots and there's and and everything that goes along with them but it was just always interesting to me that this story came out we thought you know i remember that day of it was like this is gonna be huge this is gonna be massive and it's nothing so um so anyway last topic and this is a double dose of matt zimmerman for us um is he talked? He has two kind of Pokemon Go related questions, one from last week and one from this week. Last week, um, last week he wanted to, to kind of I actually didn't write down the question, but it was Pokemon Go related, and you know was it you know the future of it? And and today's question before he for some reason deleted it off my Facebook page, but his question was uh, stadiums and sports teams are starting to use you know starting to you know use. Pokemon Go as, you know, on their social media as part of their, um, uh, you know, drawing fans to games and whatever, whatever. And so what is the next use of VR for in the sports media realm in, in the sports realm? Um, are you a Pokemon Go guy?
0: You know, I have it on my phone. I, I captured a few and, and then I was like, I don't have time for this. Um, uh, it's, it's an interesting idea. It's actually AR and not VR. Okay. Uh, it's augmented, augmented reality. reality. Yeah. Um, but but you know that's 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 just that's not sure. important. Right. But I think it's cool. I really do. Um, I, I I mean it's obviously popular. People yep. people are really interested in playing it, and it doesn't really matter to me whether they're going to still be interested in playing it a month or two from now because it demonstrates that you can you can use augmented reality in a way that's going to to turn people on and, and make right. them interested in things and make it social. And that's, I think, the thing, the big takeaway from this for me has been not just that here's an AR game using Pokemon characters, but it's actually become a social thing right. that, that people are interacting with others on. Um, you know, from a sports perspective, I had, a, I had a, a tweet last week, I think it was, where I was like, imagine if instead of Pokemon Go, they had an actual good game. Uh, yeah. that, they, that they had put out there. Like, imagine how much money you could make. And I really believe yeah, right. that, you know. And and I don't know what form it would take per se. I I, I thought about this, and you know, I mean, it it could be something um, with like a similar sort of character capture deal. It it could be something that I'm not even thinking of right now. But right. you know, I think I think the idea of leveraging branded products in an AR environment. Um, so that you're you're increasing your own brand recognition, and also you're making it engaging and interactive for people of all ages is, right. is something we've been trying to get to for a while. And you know if, if I'm if I'm like the NBA, I'm figuring out a way to you know have a have like cartoon character versions of my players, uh, you know, in a game like this. Uh, where I'm, where I've got you like interacting with them in some way, shape, or form as you go through your yeah. daily routine, like you know, I think of, of all the sports, the NBA is probably the one that would be the best equipped to do it because it's got the most recognizable stars. It's got it's got for most teams mascots that are ready to go and easy to use, um, mm-hmm. and it's 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 also got the youngest fan base, which are probably the easiest to get to utilize this sort of thing um so that, i don't know that's my thoughts what about you so
1: so augment, So I, I think i know this but you can help me out with this the difference between ar and vr virtual reality is like places you in a virtual environment whereas augmented you're looking at something and there's something that like the, the pokemon dude jumps up or whatever it is Correct. jumps up and that's okay because um, i've thought about this a lot because i um a few years ago, back in four years, four or five years, four years ago now, when I was still a PhD student at Syracuse, my grad assistantship was with the journalism, the chair of journalism innovation, a guy by the name of Dan Pacheco. And he's done a lot with VR. And we were doing stuff with VR back four years ago when it was a lot harder and a lot more challenging than it is to do now. When I was at the Dylan concert, before I got yelled at by an usher, mm-hmm. I, took a, I took a 360 photo with my, with Google Street View of the of the venue I was at and then you know published it and you know hey if you have cardboard you can look at it. It, 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 i realizing how easy it is to do basic vr stuff not intensive stuff but you know very basic stuff and i think i haven't thought about too much of the difference between AR and VR, but I, I tend to think of this I think more from a, from a media organization standpoint than a team organ, team standpoint, but I do think the team could do this too I've always thought one of the great sports uses for VR would be for football and to put yourself put the the viewer viewer the, the the person with the phone viewer, whatever you want to call them, viewer, consumer, whatever. Right. Put them in the quarterback's place on a pl- on a play from scrimmage. And so you put it in and it runs at like you see the play from the quarterback's perspective at full speed. I think that's fa- that's a fascinating use of it to do like, wow, this is how fast you have you know, really understanding the speed at which you have decisions are made, really you can almost break down big plays. You know, I could almost see it where you run a play you run a play and you and you know you're Andrew Luck you run a play what decision do you make and then it shows you here's what Andrew here's how Andrew Luck did it and you can you know whether it's through like a little camera or sensor in the helmet or something like that and there are a million obstacles to this but i've just thought you know big picture i think that 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 that's a really potentially cool way to bring fans within a game and if you're trying to tell the story of a player you know what better way than to actually put a, a, the reader into that person's experience? The one I was thinking of earlier, and this is the first time Trent Edwards' his name is, has come up in a long time. Uh, but the former Bills quarterback, he got the reputation. His nickname around Buffalo was Captain Checkdown because he got he got a concussed. Right. Arizona, he was doing really well, had a really good start to a season. He got concussed something fierce by the Arizona Cardinals, missed a couple of games, and when he came back. I mean, he wouldn't go downfield. He would check down. He would throw, like, to the running back. He would throw to the tight end, short. He would never go downfield, and it became the thing. And I just, you know, and, and this is not a defense Trent Edwards thing, but what an interesting way to tell the story of, okay, here's, here's how fast you have to make this decision with the guy with the guy barreling down on you. Well, all of a sudden that decision becomes a little more, Understandable. It doesn't make it the right decision. It doesn't make going to make you an, a, a, a quarterback. But if I'm telling that, if I wanted to tell kind of the what happened to Trent Edwards story, what better way to, tell, to, to demonstrate that, you know, in a real visceral way for the reader? I do think one of the things that's really successful about AR and Pokemon Go especially and moving forward is I think one thing that will uh, for, for a long time might hold VR back is the need for a headset. Right. Even something as simple as Google Cardboard, which is like ten fifteen bucks, um, because you always look kind of dorky when you're wearing a VR headset. Yeah. they're very cool. I love them. I think they're fascinating. But you know, you know, but I think the ability to to just have your have it on your phone and to be able to actually walk around and 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 see it, I think that that's really it's fascinating to kind of see it happen. I haven't played it. My wife had it on her phone. She did it a little bit. I haven't played it. I have. I think it's very cool. I just know it's not for me, so I'm not gonna, um, not gonna give it a go. But I think it's you know, you know, VR is one of those interesting things. I think that it's one of those things that's always talked about as this is the next big thing or this is the future, and it can be e- very easy to roll your eyes at, but. It, it, but when you look at what's being done in that space with three D photos, with three D video, three sixty photo, photos and video, it's like there, there there can be some cool stuff here. And you know, it, it, it's it's a lot closer and a lot easier to make now than it used than it was even four years ago when mm-hmm. we were working on it at Syracuse. Which is, I think, one of the great things is how how that that democratization of making stuff has become easier. That I made a three D you know, a 3d photo, uh, 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 a VR photo the other day while I was waiting for Bob Dylan to suck. Um, so, and I find that very interesting.
0: I think I, I really, I've come around. I think augmented reality has a much uh, augmented reality is like, it's like the social, it's like the logical successor to social media. Um, for, mm. you know, successor is the wrong word, but it's the logical follow up. Whereas I think VR is the logical follow-up to video games.
1: You yep. know,
0: I mean, uh, people, you're like, you know, a headset's going to make you look dorky. That's true. But sitting around playing PlayStation makes you look dorky. So right. you know, I mean, th- th- that's not as much of a leap. But I think getting a right. lot of people to do it is harder than what you'll have with AR. So right. yeah, that that wasn't the last news item. There's one other thing we need to talk about real quick before we go. What do you got? Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, earlier, about four hours ago, the ringer. Um, put an article out called "The Next Biggest Loser," uh, which city takes over Cleveland's mantle as the longest suffering? I know who wins this, who wins this one. Yep, yep. Buffalo ends up coming out on top. Uh,
1: congratulations! We live to suck another day. Yeah, yes, so. it's
0: it's uh, it was it was uh, the the summation here. I won't ruin it for the people, but yeah, it's 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 convincing. Uh, it's been All rough. Right.
1: I uh, I when I am my the other pod the other podcast I do for sports media guy um, I talk to it's a writing podcast where I talk to writers from various genres and last week I interviewed Joe Posnatsky from NBC Sports right. and my last question for him was as a Cleveland you know he's a Cleveland guy wrote a lot about Cleveland um, what I asked him what's it like and he said you know he has a lot of fondness to Buffalo we talked Buffalo food a little bit and he's like it's going to happen for you guys it will happen eventually. And so, you know, from his, but but he he had the same thought too. Like after Cleveland won, you know, who's the next city to do it? And it's, it's Buffalo. It's, you know, who's the next tortured city to kind of follow? Um, I actually have a theory on how Buffalo wins a title.
0: Oh, I, I want, I, I want to hear this. I think the best way for Buffalo to win a title is for the city to go all in on either a relocated or expansion baseball franchise because i think the barrier to winning a title in the nfl is is probably too great because i just don't think buffalo is enough of a destination for free agents at this point okay and and, and it's just it's such a random thing um like you could win a super bowl in buffalo but it just seems exceedingly unlikely because there's so many cultural hang-ups within the Bills organization that would have to be fixed.
1: It's a it's a bleep show is what it right. is. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um and the Sabers um I think I think it's actually really hard to win a Stanley cup, unless you have a really, really smart front office that really knows what they're doing. And, you know, you you think about all of the, like you think about where Buffalo is right now, where the Sabres are in terms of like their team. I mean, they're, they're arguably the worst Eastern conference team, uh, you know, over the last five years in terms Mm -hmm. of like the way they've run things. um, just to get up to the level, like the the level that the Islanders are at right now, which is like you know playoff team, uh, probably going to go out in the second round. Uh, like the the ability to jump past that and and have like have superstars and and really be able to to put together a consistent winning effort. I almost feel like it's too much for the Sabers. But in baseball, you know we, we've seen the Royals. Win a World Series. We've seen the Astros put together a team that, if they get their stuff together, could really be dangerous in the postseason. You know, we we've seen the Cubs be able to turn around. You know, a culture of losing and put themselves in a great position this year. I feel like if you were able to like if you were able to overpay for the Marlins and get the Marlins funny to story out of Miami I, I I really think you'd have a shot at winning a world chi-
1: title well well what's funny about that is that the 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 Buffalo was in line to get a major league franchise in the late 80s late 80s early 90s and it was the Marlins Wayne Huizenga over overpaid over overpaid or whatever to get the Marlins and uh and you know buffalo's minor league field it's now coca cola field i grew up with it as pilot field is major league ready like they it's set to you add a tier atop and you have a, a major league stadium i actually i actually will disagree with you i think the sabers i don't think they're necessarily closer but i think they have done good things in terms of you know they did the, they they had their tanking year where they got jack eichel um they have a decent i think that they've started turning the corner they may have a long road back but they're at least kind of Trending, I think they're trending in the right in, in the right direction on that, um, and I think what will happen, it's got to be the Sabres to win winning the Cup first because one thing Buffalo's a fantastic hockey town, maybe the best U.S. hockey town. That in Detroit, you know the two best U.S. hockey towns, um, you know it'll be fantastic. But because what will happen is sabers win the cup buffalo goes crazy it's awesome the rest of the country goes that is the most buffalo thing their one title <laughs> that they win is in hockey and no one cares so that's what'll happen
0: <laughs> well we'll see it's uh, i hope it happens for y'all at some point here soon i mean it, it, you know i look at the they've got this great graphic on this ringer story the combined years of suffering where i guess they it's a population adjusted pain of losing statistic, oh, uh, Jesus you know, and so, um, you know, it's like it's not the greatest uh, sort of thing because, you know, like New York te- technically has more combined years of suffering, even though they won the Super Bowl in 2011. But because right. New York's population is 20 times that of Buffalo uh, you know, but you look at the other similarly sized
1: cities on the list. You know, it's like San Diego, right? And Piznansky and, agreed with us. San Diego doesn't count because it's San Diego. Which I feel bad for San
0: Diego because you no, know I know because I mean,
1: you live in San Diego.
0: Well, though, but that's why I feel bad for them because it's it's got to be tough to have your fandom just basically disregarded because you happen to live in a place with nice weather. Like <laughs> you know, I mean, imagine if imagine if we as a society idolized cold weather the way that we idolize warm weather and people looked at buffalo and they said well who cares whether you guys haven't won a title because you've got that great winter weather you know i mean we we don't do that and we automatically equate like you know living on lake erie or lake ontario with you know the end of the earth in some in some way shape or form because of the fact that it's so cold during the winter time uh and and you know and yet
1: But a lot of it, too, you have, like, I don't get the feeling that San Diego fans, like, they don't talk about themselves in the torture thing. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Like, you know, Buffalo. No one asks them. They don't. They should.
0: Okay. Identify for me the last. who's Who's the big celebrity San Diego sports fan that we hear from on a regular basis?
1: Hey, who's the big Buffalo celebrity sports fan? If you say Luke Russert, this podcast ends. I was going to say Tim Russert, even though he's dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but,
0: but, you know, Buffalo's kind of a special case. I mean, hell, they got mentioned in the X-Files. You know, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, it's like that. It's that sort of thing where Buffalo gets talked about by everybody as being right. this torture. It's like Cleveland's the same sort of thing. Like Cleveland, you know, you know people always talked about how Cleveland was this tortured city uh, right. to the point that – um you know, but but, but like it, it has very little to do, I think, with sport. And I think it has more to do with it's like, you know, you know, it's like the cousin you feel bad for because their wife left them and they lost their job. And now they're like selling meth out of their bathtub. Um, you know, it's like well, that escalated quickly. Well, no, my point is this. <laughs> I think it has very little to do with the 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 amount of losing or the the torturedness of the fan because i mean cleveland let's be honest wasn't that particularly tortured like they no. they were tortured maybe back in the 80s but they weren't really because they were i mean they were going to 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 afc title games and yeah. you know i mean they've been to world series i mean you know the idea that they were an overly tortured fan base i think was was a bit oversold um you know and and yet they got talked about constantly. We talk about Buffalo on a regular basis, and I don't think we'd be talking about Buffalo and and Cleveland if they were Tampa well, and San Diego. Well, no. They also
1: fit that narrative because you have the Rust Belt. You that's know, what, you and that's what I'm the about there You get the Rust Belt. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the handy narrative where, you know, um, it's very easy. To, you know, it, it's just an easy hook, and Cleveland and Buffalo are similar enough cities you know, geographically, economically, um, kind of socioeconomically. I'm speaking out of my butt a little bit, but they're similar enough that you can slide from Cleveland. You can slide the narrative from Cleveland to Buffalo, and it's not a big deal. Where if you try to move it to San, yeah, if you try to move it to Tampa or San Diego, or you know, any any of these other places. Um, but yeah, I just. You know my feelings on reveling in ministry. In in ministry, ministry. I don't want (laughs) to revel in ministry either. You know they had that couple good albums in the '90s, and that was about it. So, I
0: do want to. I do want to make one last comment before we close up because I'm. I've got the the Republican National Convention on behind me here. Oh joy, and um, all they talked about in the pre in the the lead up to today tonight was uh, how there was all this tension inside the Trump. Uh, like campaign headquarters, because Trump was going to come out and introduce his wife, okay. uh, because his wife's speaking tonight, and and it was all of this. Well, people are really concerned that you know Trump is going to do what he did when he introduced Pence. You know, when he talked for twenty eight minutes in the introduction right. and didn't really talk about Pence, and it was really awkward. And you know, and and they, you know, it's like people inside the campaign are like really concerned about this. Da da da. This was like the dominant thing. Was like, why is Trump even speaking today? This is not normal for you know. For, for people right. uh, who are the, the, the presumptive nominee. Right. And so Trump just came out, spent 30 seconds on stage, and then introduced his wife and walked off stage, and his wife's okay. already talking. This is, this is what I'm talking about. Like, like the media got played like a, a violin on this because now yes. everybody was focusing on this, expecting Trump to come out and make an ass of himself. Right. And instead, now they're all listening to his wife talk.
1: And it's that lowered expectation, too, where, like, yeah. he literally, you know, <laughs> he, he literally only talks for 30 seconds, managed to not offend anybody in 30 seconds, and now he's going to be talked about as, that was a presidential way to introduce your wife. Right. Uh, so Anyway.
0: Well, hey, we've gone uh, relatively long tonight. Uh, but we've, this, helped, a lot, but we've this, helped
1: a lot of people. This makes up for me thinking
0: my garage door was open last time. So, <laughs> Oh, was it not open? No, it was open. It was open, okay. but nothing was stolen. Which, oh, that's good. Since I've got everything to move here in the last week before we move out of the house, um, I wish some more things had been stolen, frankly. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but anyway, uh, enjoyable as always. Uh, yeah. Brian will... Uh, Uh, next week we'll have to chat. We might have to change the date, but, uh, whenever we talk again, it'll be enjoyable.
1: Absolutely. Thank you all for uh, checking us out. Remember if you have any topics for us, let us know. As you see, we'll spend a minute on literally anything,
0: anything, but, uh, you folks have a safe time out there, Brian, uh, enjoy the, uh, the waning month of July. Yeah. It's, it's kind of sad. And, uh, folks, we will, uh, we will catch you on the flip side. Have a good one.
1: See ya.